You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. So if you could stand to honor the reading of God's Word, we're looking at Romans chapter 10. We're back in Romans. We're going to start with verse 1. Romans chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. And that they is his kinsmen that he mentioned earlier. For I bear uh, them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who believes the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for just uh, uh, the opportunity to be able to gather uh, in this place or on the live stream in, in, uh, in the comforts of your own you know, living room or maybe a campground somewhere. God, that, uh, that we could gather together and we ask that you would speak to our hearts now, that you would give us eyes to see, you give us ears to hear, and that you would soften our hearts to receive the truth of your, of your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, you may be seated. Uh, also, for those on the live stream, and uh, I think every, everybody here, you already know this, you know, we're, it's going to be a while before we pass the plate again when it comes to offering or the bag that we use. Uh, so uh, that's what the box in the back is for. And then also, uh, for those of you watching the live stream, you can just go to our website, and there's a link, uh, the church's website, there's a link there that you can click on and give that way. I want to share with you two stories that uh, I I, uh, came across. One, I I learned of this story back in 2004. The other story I uh, learned just this past week. And I'll start with the longer story, and then I'll end with the shorter story. The longer story is a story that I learned this week about a a little girl, 10-year-old little girl by the name of Tilly. And uh, both of these stories take place in, or took place in Thailand in 2004 when the great tsunami hit and uh, killed over 200,000 people. So Tilly two weeks before her family's vacation in Thailand, she had learned in class about tsunamis. 
She learned all about tsunamis. She learned about what can happen when, when an earthquake happens in the ocean and, and how the ocean waters will uh, typically, not all the time, but typically will recede. And, uh, and there are other warning signs to be seen and experienced with a tsunami. She learned all that two weeks before her family took a vacation uh, on, on some beach in Thailand. So as she and her, 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 her parents and her youngest uh, sister were walking on the beach, she noticed the waves receding back and not returning. So she began to become alarmed. And then she, finally, she tried to get her, the, the attention of her mom and dad. Mom and dad, something's wrong. Something's really wrong. There, this isn't right. And she started, she started to panic. Like, she's, like this, this is really bad because the waters just kept receding and receding. And, and she finally yelled out, there's going to be a tsunami. There's going to be a tsunami. And, and mom and dad kind of dismissed her. And then she started screaming, there's going to be a tsunami. And then her youngest, daughter, her youngest sister, Holly, started to, to panic and, and started to sob and cry uncontrollably. So dad took, took Holly back to the hotel to try to, to, to soothe Holly and, and to calm her down. And as Tilly looked around and saw all the people on, on the uh, beach who were just mesmerized by what was happening to the ocean, she ran back to the hotel, you know, yelling, there's going to be a tsunami, and she found her dad, and her dad was speaking with one of the security guards in the hotel, and her dad finally said, you know, this is going to sound really crazy, but our 10-year-old daughter really, really believes that there's going to be a tsunami. And so then the security guard looked out the, the, the hotel uh, lobby window and saw what was happening to the what had happened to the, the waters that they were receding. And he immediately ran outside and, and yelled at the people, get off the beach, get off the beach. There's going to be a tsunami. He, he didn't listen to uh, somebody who, who had a doctor degree. He didn't listen to some weatherman or some geologist or, or any expert for that matter. He, he didn't listen to any of that. He listened to a 10-year-old uh, panicking, uh, upset little girl who learned about tsunamis two weeks before their vacation in Thailand. Not one person died that was on that beach that day. All of them were brought into the hotel lobby, which was on the upper floor, and, uh, and their lives were spared. Now, I heard another story not long ago, and you probably have heard this story. Uh, I, I heard another story shortly after the tsunami that, that uh, on another beach in Thailand, uh, the waters had receded. Some say somewhere between a mile to a mile and a half, the waters were receded out into the ocean, leaving, leaving exposed, flopping, uh, flipping fish, you know, shiny fish on, on the, what was the ocean floor. And that uh, men, women, and children walked out to the now exposed sand collecting fish, not, under, not knowing what was coming. And from what I understand, everybody who on that beach, most of the people that, uh, or anybody that was on that beach collecting fish, died. I uh, was asked not long ago if I thought the world was coming to an end because of everything that's been happening in our nation and in our world. 
you know, you've got COVID-19, and now you have just crazy stuff that's happening in our nation with a, with a very real, uh, legitimate uh, racial tension uh, in our nation. And I talked about that last week a little bit with our, my discussion with JB. And somebody asked, you know, do you think the world is ending? And my response was this, that uh, this is what I know. We are closer, well, one, one, we know, this is what we know. The Bible never says the world's going to end permanently. God's going to resurrect it. He's going to make all things new. But Jesus talked about this end that was coming, and this is what I know, that we are closer to the, to the end that Jesus spoke of than, when, than, than the day when Jesus first announced that there was an end coming. And, and, and so we're closer than, than we've ever been before, but I'm not sure if we're, if we're there yet. And my guess is it could happen, like, like Jesus could return tomorrow, or it could be another 100 years, it could be another 1,000 years, it could be 2,000 years, it could be 3,000 years. I'm, I'm not certain, but what I do know is that when I think about things like the tsunami that happened in 2004, uh, and I think about what Jesus said about the coming end. Jesus said, you know, this is what's going to happen. Uh, and you can read about this in Matthew 24. He said, there's going to be wars and there's going to be rumors of wars. There's going to be pestilence, like disease and, and that kind of thing. There's going to be famines. And, and all these things are going to continue to increase and increase and increase before the end comes, like the birth pains that a mom experiences shortly before the birth of her child. And, uh, and, and just know that as you see these things happening, what's important is the way you live your life today. And, uh, and, and, and so as I think about the tsunami and I think about the receding waters that, that led to many people, you know, not, I mean, they didn't expect, they didn't know it was coming, led to their deaths because of the tsunami that came and swept them up. And when I think about Tilly's story, I think about the church today. And I think about everything that's happening in our nation. God is, the Bible describes the patience of God as long-suffering. And he is, given, he is giving every opportunity to generate, he's given gener, uh, every opportunity to, gen, to repent. Seated us, and he's given this generation every opportunity to repent. And, I, and it seems to me that what we see in our world, both good and bad, is, is, is the shiny fish that's left on the ocean floor as a that's, that's left there as a result of God's uh, patience with the receding waters that it will eventually lead to the tsunami of his judgment that's coming. Like the Bible says there's a judgment coming. And, and, and the question that I ask myself is, am I one of those that, that you know, am I one of those that's out there collecting fish? Or am I warning others about it, about this judgment that's coming? And I feel like, and this is, the, I do not, I, you, if you know me, or if you're getting to know me, what you'll learn is that I do not believe in spanking from the pulpit. <laughs> I call it spanking from the pulpit. You ever experienced that? Somebody from the pulpit just like 
kind of, you feel like you'd been beat up a little bit for like 45 minutes, and by the time you leave uh, the church service, you're like, man, I need a nap or I need to go cry. I'm not sure what I want to do. Uh, if, uh, but I, I wonder, I wonder if uh, with everything that's happening in our world, if, if the church, if people who belong to the church are, if they're busy either collecting fish or warning people about this tsunami that's coming. And everywhere we read in scriptures, we're told there is a tsunami that's coming. And that tsunami is a judgment, and, it's, and that judgment is the wrath of God, and his patience is like the receding waters, and those shiny fish are the, are, are, you know, the, are the, like the good job that we want. Uh, the, the shiny fish could be a, a, a relationship that we're pursuing. The shiny fish could be uh, you know, the comforts of, 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 you know, that we've grown accustomed to in, in this nation or whatever it is. And we're out there collecting fish when we should be saying, you know, there's a judgment coming, a tsunami is coming, and that there is a way of escape. And God has provided that way of escape. And when I read Romans chapter 10, we're told, how the, the way of escape, that there is a God who loved us so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not, what? Perish, but have everlasting life. In Romans 10, we're told of how it is that we can be more like 10-year-old Tilly, schoolgirl Tilly, uh, when it comes to the tsunami that's coming. And so we see this in Romans 10. Romans 10, there, there are two things I want to just explore here. And one is that there is only one way to salvation, period. There's only one way to salvation. Not multiple ways. I've said this a couple, I think it was two weeks ago or three weeks ago, that, that some believe all roads lead to God. And, and when we read the scriptures, we learn that that statement is true. All roads, you know, most roads lead to God as a judge, only one way, one, one path, one road leads to him as a father, and that is through Jesus Christ. There's only one way to salvation. And when we read Romans, like right before Romans chapter 10, Paul says in verses 31 through 32, he writes in 31 and 32, he says, you know, uh, they, speaking of the Hebrew people, pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, but did not succeed in reaching that law because they did not pursue it by faith, but as it were based on works. Well, what is he talking about there? He's, he, he's saying, my kinsmen were pursuing the law, and, and they thought in their minds, the, the, and people still think this way today, that if I just do enough good things, if I just, if I just behave just, just right, then when I die, I'll get into heaven based on my good conduct. And, and Paul, said, Paul said this, that they pursued the law out of ignorance. It says, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God, they sought to establish it on their, on their own terms, in their own way. And nothing has really changed today. Like, we see it all over the place. That if, I, if I'm just a, you know, I could be a good person and get to heaven. Have you ever heard that? You ever talk to somebody about Jesus and they say, well, I'm a good person. And uh, my grandmother used to say that all the time. I would tell her, Grandma, you, you, you need to believe in Jesus. Like, Jesus is the only way that you can be saved 
from the wrath of God. Like God loves you so much, he sent his son for you, and, and there's only one way to heaven, and Jesus is that way. And, and her response was typically, well, I'm a good person. Yeah, that's nice, but I, I don't really believe all that. And you hear it all over the place. I mean, just, just hang out at a memorial service. Just don't go into some stranger's memorial service. That would be weird. But uh, how many of you have been to a funeral before? Right? Uh, and, and, you know, every funeral that I've officiated, or, you know, or I've been, uh, I've been at, that I've attended, I don't think I ever, ever heard anybody say something uh, bad about the deceased. Have you? <laughs> It's always good. It's always good. The challenge as a pastor is when you know that the person wasn't really all that good or, or really, really a nice person. There was a, a person who, at the first church that I was the lead pastor at, uh, he was a jerk. And he was a, like before I came, he was a deacon in the church. It never would have happened with me being a pastor there. He was a jerk. Like he would tell some of the ladies in the church, you're ugly. Like that's the kind of and he and he would never he was never in the worship service he was always out in the parking lot counting cars, I don't I don't know why but and and, and I had to do his funeral, and uh, and nobody could figure out anything nice to say about him, and so I had to stand before that and I see, and I just you know when I don't know where a person was when in terms of their relationship with Jesus, I just I, all I do is just major on the gospel. I remember doing a funeral for somebody uh, who did not attend Northwest Baptist Church, and uh, they were desperate. They didn't go, to, they didn't go anywhere. And uh, it was a sad, tragic uh, situation. The, the guy who died was 32 years old. They found him dead in the front of his house. Uh, he died, I believe, of natural causes, but, um, but I did not believe in Jesus. And... Uh, and I was so green as a pastor. Like, I, I, I just didn't, I think this was probably my fifth or sixth funeral at this point. When I, I was baptized by funerals at Northwest Baptist Church. I did, I think, 20 funerals while I was there at that, at that church. So just to give you an idea. But, uh, but so we sat down, we started going over the music. And, and I said, you know, you know in, in, a, in a memorial service, some people like to sing songs together and and so, are there any songs that you you would like folks to sing? And so, so they st- the the family said, "Well, we think Freebird from Leonard Skinner would be really great." I said, um, "Okay." And then I forget what the other one was. It was even worse than that one. And I, I thought, um, "How about we do that as the the music that people hear as they walk into the uh, into the church?" Uh, auditorium, and they said, "Okay, but but uh, usually you hear about people being nice and being good." And Paul, Paul says here, there is uh, there is only uh, there's only one way to attain your righteous to attain righteousness, and it's not by the things that you do; it's by faith. It's by faith. Yeah, Paul's kinsmen believe that uh, the Hebrew people believe that. If I just obeyed all the commandments, I could get in. And Paul said, no, that's not the point of the law. The point of the law is to show you how far short you fall from meeting God's standard and, and how Jesus provided the righteousness that we need 
by the life that he lived, the death that he died, and he validated that when he rose from the grave. And so, um, in fact, Jesus even said, Jesus said, you know, I, I do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. He said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, I have not come to abolish them, but to what? Fulfill them. Meaning, I'm the point. I'm the point. In verse 4 of Romans 10, Paul, said, Paul wrote, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who what? Believes. Like the law shows me I need a Savior. There's a judgment coming. I need a Savior. And the only way to escape that judgment is to believe in that Savior, which he'll explain later what belief looks like. In fact, the reason why the commandments are there for us is to to remind us of the character and, and, and holiness of God and to, like I said, to remind us how far short we fall. And you could use the commandments as a, as a, as a way of sharing the gospel. You know, anytime somebody says, well, I'm a good person, if that's their response to me when I want to talk to them about Jesus, I, I, I then ask them, well, have you ever heard of the Ten Commandments? And he said, well, Yeah. And most people will say yes. They say, well, let me share a couple of those commandments with you. You know, you should not have any other gods before me. You know, and just go through the list. Uh, you, you should not uh, take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Uh, honor your father and mother. You should not kill. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. And, you know, I said, so have you, have you broken any of those commandments? And sometimes people say, well, not really. And then I'll ask, well, you know, Jesus said if you look at a woman with, or a person of the opposite sex, or in our generation, the same sex, if you look at somebody with lustful intent, you've committed adultery in, their, in, their, in your heart. Have you ever looked at somebody with, you know, lustfully? Oh, yeah. I'm like, okay. Have you ever lied before? And, and sometimes I have to pry it out of them. But I'm like, everybody will admit, yeah, I've lied before. I said, so basically... You're a lying, adultering person. Are you really a good person? Well, maybe not. And then you go into the gospel. The law shows us how far short we fall from, you know, from meeting God's standard. James chapter 2, verse 10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law... Let's read this together. Ready? Uh, Forever, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking what? All of it. All of it. Like you've broken one commandment, you've broken, you're guilty of breaking all of them. And so a person's religious activity, no matter how sincere they are, is not enough. Like, are you, have you ever heard the phrase, oh, he's, he's sincere in his beliefs, or she's sincere in her beliefs. You ever hear that? And, and the Bible tells us that's not enough. You can, you, you can be sincere all you want, but you're still sincerely wrong. Right? You still need the gospel. And that's the point of chapter 10. And Paul goes on in verse 8 and 9 says, But what does it say? The, the word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall what? Be saved. That you shall be saved. You know, er, earlier on he says, you know, he says, um, do not say in your heart, in verse 6, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. And what he's saying there, what Paul's saying there is, don't say, in, in, you know, you, you can't, 
generating your own righteousness is impossible, and it's just as impossible to to be the one who orchestrates the incarnation with the birth of Jesus and Mary. That's only happened once, and, and the one who was responsible for making that happen was who? God, right? And when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus, there was only one who was able to raise Jesus from the grave, and who was that? God. And when it comes to our righteousness, there's only one who's able to provide the righteousness that we need. And who is that? God, through his son Jesus. And then, so then Paul goes into the, uh, the second point, and that is there is a process for salvation. There's a process for salvation. He goes on, and let's pick up in verse 9 again if you're tra- tracking in your Bible. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, verse 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So there's this process of salvation that Paul lays out for us. He does not say, look what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say, if you confess with your mouth only, you will be saved. And he doesn't say... If you just keep it in and you just you know you don't talk about it, you just kind of hide it in your heart. That 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 that's a picture of salvation either. What does he say? He says that, and I think we'd all we'd all agree with this. That if you believe something so deeply and so profoundly, it's going to affect the way you live your life. Right? Like, if you're married, how do you know that your spouse loves you? by the way they treat you, how they talk about you. Like if your spouse is, is calling you all kinds of names and treating you like dirt, sorry to say, they probably don't love you. Not the way that, they're suppo- they're, that they, they should love you. Uh, that w- what we believe deeply eventually uh, expresses itself outwardly in the way we live our lives. And we see this all throughout our nation right now with the protests and, and, and with, with the left and with the right and, and just, you've got an ocean of various different passions that are being expressed in our nation right now. And uh, it, it's kind of scary in some ways. And Paul says here that if, if you really believe in Jesus, that's the key operative word, believe, pistos, it's, it's, it's faith. It's, you know, if you really believe, this is how, this is how it's going to uh, reveal itself in your life. If you really believe that Jesus lived the life that, that you could never live and he died to death that you deserved and he rose on the third day, it's going to so profoundly affect you as a person. It's going, to so, it's, it's going to penetrate the very core of your being in such a way that you're not going to be able to keep your mouth shut when it comes to Jesus. And in the West, and especially in America, we've reduced the gospel to a mantra that we, that we say or that we pray, and we think that that is enough, that that's going to get us into heaven, because we, we said something with our lips, similar to Islam. If you just, if you just confess that Allah is, you know, is sovereign and he is Lord, and Muhammad is his prophet, then you're, then, then you're a Muslim. And the Bible says, no, the gospel has the power to transform your life 
And when you really believe it, guess what will happen? It will transform your life. And the word choice that the apostle uses here in, in these verses, they were chosen very carefully. Life saving a surgeon when he chooses a scalpel to perform delicate surgery, life saving surgery. I mean, he, he, he's, he's, he wants to make sure that, that, that it's clear that if you really believe in Jesus, it's, you're going to lean into him as the only means for your salvation with your, with your life and, 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 and what you're trusting in for your salvation, and you're going to talk about it, not only with your lips, but also with the way your life, and you live your life. Um, St. Francis of Sisi was attributed as saying, you know, preach the gospel often if necessary, use words. One, he never said that. Two, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Like, you cannot hear the gospel unless somebody tells you the gospel. That's next week's sermon. That's uh, verse 14. Like, God, God has a mission in this world, and he is sending his people into the world to not only live out the gospel, but to communicate the gospel, to tell people about it. And when it comes to, when it comes to the gospel... Uh, Jesus, Jesus said this. He said, I mean, here's one for you. He said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The core of your being, and it's just trusting in the gospel, and that is, a, that is something that you believe at the very core of your being, and it just permeates everything about you. Guess what's going to come out of your mouth? Conversations about Jesus. That doesn't mean you're, you're going to be the next Billy Graham or that you're going to stand on the street corners in South South Philadelphia and South Street, you know, shouting at everybody who walks by. It doesn't mean that that's what you're going to do. It doesn't, but what it does mean is that the gospel of Jesus Christ, your relationship with Jesus, is so much a part of your life that there is no way that you're able to separate or divorce your faith in Jesus from the rest of your life. Does that make sense? And so, like last week when I had this conversation with JB, the point I was trying, one, I just th thought it would be helpful to have a conversation, but the point, the big point I wanted to, to get across is that in the church, I'm talking about ambassadors of Jesus Christ, that it, it does not help when, when the primary thing that we're, or primary soapbox that we're standing on is what we believe politically or, or what we believe socially. Like, that doesn't help the world. That's not what it means to be salt and light in the world that the responsibility of every ambassador of Jesus Christ is, that, is to look for bridges into people's lives so that we can carry the gospel into, into their world, into their culture, into their life, into their family. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, so when I said the response to the phrase, Black Lives Matter, uh, if your response is, well, all 